Welcome and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Now let's join Pastor Ben Tifi for his message. How you doing? You doing all right? Excellent. Well, we're going to continue on with our series in Galatians. If you and I haven't met, Ben Tiffy's my name. And forgive me that the first thing you heard me say this morning was rousing on the whole church. But I just know that we can do better and better than what we did this morning. Who, say, who can say amen to that? I know you can. You really can. And uh, so welcome to church. If we ever met, do come say g'day afterwards after the service. We've been in a series traveling through the book of Galatians. And uh, we've been calling this series Fresh Air and Freedom because we've noted that, you know, if you've ever had teenagers or you've ever been camping with blokes... If you lock up a confined space long enough and live in it, it really starts to stink, doesn't it? How many people know you walk into a teenager's room on a Saturday morning, you must bring a knife to slice through the air to get in there and open up those doors and windows and get rid of the the smell of the the, the teenage fragrance. Oh, de teenager, it's called. And uh, you've got to open up and let some fresh air in, don't you, to do that. And uh, if you've ever been on a camp with a bunch of blokes... They don't even know what I'm talking about. It's just their native tongue. And uh, so what happens is life gets stuffy in a confined space. And the truth is there's always pressure, always current in our world and in our lives for our walk with King Jesus to become stuffy as well. And uh, there's nothing more unattractive than a stuffy Christian. There's nothing more unattractive than someone whose the Christian life has not become about a free existence for them, but has become about a constrained place of religious protectionism, where what they do is they build up walls of rules and regulations and ideology around their life to keep the big bad world out. But in that combined space, a smell will develop and it will also be hard to breathe and it's incredibly unhealthy for you and so what you have to do is open up that confined space wonderful we talked uh, a few weeks ago in our friday night service about the hebrew bible and the word for salvation in the hebrew bible gaining its root meaning from this phrase to be delivered to a large and spacious ground a large and imagine the hebrew slaves coming out of egypt crammed in one of the world's centers a population megacity most of them would have never seen anything like this amazing populous city of Egypt millions of people and slaves building grinding bricks without straw man just confined tight squeezed into their quarters with all the life being squeezed out of them and then God comes and he says to Moses Israel is my son I'm going to lead him out I'm going to show him my salvation lead him into a spacious wide open land flowing with milk and honey and all of the New Testament talk of salvation derives its understanding and meaning from that initial conversation that salvation is to be led into a spacious land isn't that amazing huh listen if you're following Jesus and you're feeling constricted that's not because of following Jesus there's other stuff that comes and creeps in constricts And sometimes we build up rules and regulations and obligation and habits and cultural traits and tendencies that we think are Christian, but the New Testament points to and says, religious, looks all fine on the outside, even even keeps you safe, build up your walls, then you won't be tempted, seems good, steals life, robs joy. And and, and it's another form of prison. Ever seen the cartoon? A guy loaded up. And he's got a ball and chain on this leg and a ball and chain on this leg. And then he's holding a big bunch of legal volumes. And the thought bubble says, come and see Jesus and be as free as I am. Sometimes we've got to be careful that that's not us, don't we? That we don't just pile on, pile on the constraint and the restriction. And so in our time in the book of Galatians, we've learned to be careful about some of those things. In Galatians chapter 5 that we covered in the first service... 
It's really good having two services because you can cover lots more ground of the Bible and then you don't have to preach one two-hour sermon. So see how we go. It's good. Um, we're going to cover Galatians chapter five, chapter 6 in this service. But in Galatians chapter 5, Paul notes something after inviting them to be justified by faith and have God make his holy declaration over their life. Like would happen in the Roman world, that the judge would come and if he found you to be in the right, if he wanted to free you from sin, if he wanted to acquit you of all charges, he would take up his judge's gavel and he would look at you and in the Greek language, he would look at you and he'd say, Dikaiosune. Joined with righteousness, found right, made right, acquitted of all charges, allowed to go free. And when Paul says that those who say yes to the gospel message, they sit in the cosmic courtroom of heaven and God, the king of heaven, comes before them as a cosmic judge and he makes a declaration over the life of every man, every woman, every child that says yes to the gospel. Justified, made righteous, made right. And of course, all of us in the face of such grace, because this declaration is not made because I'm a good person. It's not made because I follow the rules. It's not made because I get a little bit of religion, but it is made because I say God of the universe in response to his grace and his mercy and his offer of life. What I do is I'm empowered with God's covering grace to draw a line in the sand of my life and say, God of the universe, no matter where I've been coming from, no matter where I've been going to, today I draw that line and I cross over and I'm going to follow you and say yes to everything, all the work of Jesus on the cross, all the offer of your life and your grace and your peace in the gospel my answer is yes and when we throw ourselves on the mercy of God leaning into and trusting God God looks at us and he says set free justified by faith Solomon not because of what you have done but because of what Jesus has done God does not base his holy declaration on your record but on the record of Christ and in so doing he expunges your record it's an amazing deal the gospel deal And then all of us are faced in wide-eyed wonder with the declaration of the God of the universe that says, you are made right. But it's not long before we sit with ourselves and we say, but but I'm not right. I've actually got a lot of stuff wrong. I've had stuff wrong my whole life. I've had stuff wrong today, this week, the last 10 minutes. And, 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 and it doesn't seem fair. How do we reconcile the two that the God of the universe will wide-eyed look me in the eye and say, made righteous, when I know that I'm not righteous? How about you? Oh, and, and, and if you think you are, that's the start of your problem, according to Jesus. How do I reconcile the fact that I'm declared righteous, but sometimes I'm just so faced with the fact that I'm not righteous? And then Paul gets to Galatians chapter 5. He says, there is a war going on inside you, my brother or my sister. There's a war going on inside you. First of all, let's talk about you. Let's talk about what you are. Let's talk about who you are. The Bible says that in your unredeemed state, you in your natural state, you without Christ, you just as a normal, natural human being, your life is characterized by this thing called living or walking according to the flesh. And the word flesh is not just about a piece of meat. It's not just about your mere physicality. My whole life I've been surrounded by three sisters and a mum and now I've got three daughters and a wife. And in our house, if it was just about mere physicality, a lot of conversational time has been taken up about the increase or decrease of flesh. But it's not just about sheer physicality and the expansion of your waistline or any other types of lines in in, in the body. But actually, when the Bible uses the word flesh, it's not just about meat. It is the human nature, a human in their natural condition, a human as they actually are, with all of your humanity, all of your frailty, all of your normality, all of your history, all of your biography. Now, some of that's really good. And your flesh will respond with pride and, and possessiveness 
I'm really good at these things. I'm brilliant at this. And, 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 and our ego and, and, and our flesh will just push us forward in pride and self-exaltation. But actually, I haven't met a lot of people that that's the way they live. The most type of person I meet as a pastor, and I meet them hours upon hours, day after day after day, is this other type of person whose normal natural state, they know it's broken, whose normal natural state, they know it's frail, they know it's weak, and they're poignantly aware of the weaknesses that they have. And, and, and their life seems to be, it seems to be the, the combination of who they are just as a person, and, and their temperament, and their personality, and then their appetites, and then their desires, and then you roll around at that a little bit of an environmental factor, like maybe where they've been, and how they've been living, and who they've been hanging out with, and And that leaves its mark. And then, of course, there's the history and biography. And for some of us, that's left a terrible mark, hasn't it? I was talking recently with a wonderful lady, 58 years old. I have her permission to share this story. Just in case you ever wonder, if you and I have a conversation, I will never tell your story without asking your permission. And and, except if you're related to me. Um, And then, and she's 58 and she's walked with Jesus for a long time. But when she was 10, a man touched her in an inappropriate way. Terrible, despicable, disgusting act. And she's 58 now. But there's something inside her that's never moved on from that moment. And that's actually what she said. She got stuck there. And she's grown up as a person. Her body's changed. Her hair's changed color a few times. Changed jobs, changed qualifications, changed makeup brands, changed dress sense, changed locations, changed marriages, changed friendship circles. Everything's changed. Everything's progressed. Everything's moved on. But she sat in my office and she said, something from me's never moved on from that period of time, Pastor Ben. And that thing that happened, that history, that biography in her, in her natural state, it became a lens. And now that lens colors the way she sees Everything, everything that happens points back to that time. Everything that happens reminds her of that time. Everything that happens stirs back again the pain and the emotion and the trauma of that time. She, she was at work and someone got a promotion. And, and she, rather than being happy like she acted on the outside for that person that got a promotion, she was deeply sad because all she could hear is, they've rejected me, they've overlooked me. I'm worthless, I'm hopeless, I'm no good. And all the feelings of, of, of a 10-year-old that was abused surfaced in a 58-year-old that hadn't been abused but felt like it because someone else had something good happen to them. She sees on Facebook one of her friends has had a baby and, and, and while everybody's happy and everybody's celebrating, she can't celebrate because she's just so aware of the frailty and brokenness and sadness and hurt and pain in her own life that somehow, even though she doesn't want it to be there, inexplicably and irreversibly up comes this resentment and this envy and she gets mad about it. Because as humans in our natural state, in our, in our normal state, We're just our personality and our temperament and our tendencies and our appetites and our desires. But then you throw in our environment and then you throw in our our history and our biography and it it leaves marks, doesn't it? Now, I don't know if you're even close to the story of my friend, but I bet you this, there's things that have left marks on you that no one else knows about. And some of those marks, they colour the way you live and the choices that you make, even the feelings that you feel, the focus that you give in life and the things that you do and the behaviours you engage in. A lot of it is just about dealing with some of the things that have left marks. There's a war in you. Paul will say in Galatians 5, you have flesh. 
you have a nature that's been trained and fashioned and formed and even some good things about that will just make you proud and egotistical and bombastic but so many bad things about that will just drive you in cycles of behaviors that cause you shame and pain and you just want to be like Adam and Eve hiding away from God and sometimes hiding away from everybody else that's that's what we do hey we we hide and the worst of it is we hide in plain sight we turn up to church and we put on our lipstick and we straighten our hair and we put on our pants whatever you did today and and we just hope that nobody notices we're wearing fig leaves and we just hope that nobody ever comes in behind the fig leaf to that secret place where we're broken, the secret place where we're failing, the secret place where time and time again we keep on promising we're not going to go back to that thing or do that thing or feel that way, the stuff we wrestle with. And we just hope, man, if I fake it, will I make it? But you know what the truth is about humans? It's not fake it till you make it. It's fake it till you faint. You can only expend energy faking it for so long before things fall apart, huh? Ever, ever have a conversation with somebody? I have these chats all the time with people that sit with me and say, I just can't hold it together anymore. And it's the right answer. Oh, you're trying to hold it together. And of course that takes energy and eventually you won't be able to hold it together and you'll have to let go and it will fall apart. And the gospel doesn't say, come on, don't you know what Jesus did for you? Held it together. Hold it together. That's not the gospel. That's what religion does. Religion says, hold it together, build some more walls, follow some more rules, whip yourself, beat yourself up, let someone else do it. Come to a priest, come to a pastor, let them beat you up. That's really good. That's what religion says. What, What the gospel says is, Jesus was ripped to pieces so you could be joined back together. Isaiah said it, by his stripes we are healed he he, he was ripped so that we could be healed and the Christian gospel looks realities of life fully in the face as they are not as they should be not as you wish they were not like you're pretending they are not like you're living in denial because sometimes living in denial is such a great place to be because they don't have to face up to all the yucky stuff but it comes out man eventually it comes out comes out in all sorts of ways it comes out in midlife crisis quarter life crisis ongoing crisis Crisis tomorrow, pain, addiction, cycles. If you, if you don't confront everything about your flesh now, then one day in the future it will bubble over to the surface and it is an uncontrollable situation. And, and religion offers us, well, keep that monster in the box and build a wall of rules to keep it in. But you know what happens is that feeds that monster and eventually it breaks out of that box. It really does. That's why you make your New Year's resolution. I'm only going to eat cabbage for 52 weeks. And by the third day, you throw that cabbage at the roof and you rip the wrapper off a Snickers bar, down a Coca-Cola, dive headfirst into ultra chocolate ice cream, and, and, and you feel good in the moment and then you feel terrible afterwards. But that's actually just a picture of what we do with many areas of our life, and some of them are far more harmful than ice cream and Snickers. You can't contain the monster in a box. Galatians 5 says it this way. You've got a war in you. 
You've got your flesh, all that stuff. You in your natural condition, all that stuff we've just discussed. But when you say yes to the gospel, God makes a declaration over you who lives in your flesh and says you are made right. And you say, but how can that be? Take a look at my flesh and God says, I know. But what I do is when I make the declaration made righteous, I send my spirit. And my spirit comes to like antivirus software in your life. Antivirus software that I download into your life. The download begins the moment you log on and say, God, drawing the line, I'm saying yes to the gospel, I'm following you. And then once you log on, you get software installed called the Holy Spirit. Now, like any process, just because the software is installed doesn't mean it runs everything. You can turn it on, you can turn it off, you can operate according to that software, or you can disable the software if you want to temporarily. But the software is there. And then God says, now what you do is you take the software and you activate the software, but then you install its partner app called the Word of God. And if you install the partner app called the Word of God, then the Word of God will provide directions to the new antivirus software, and the Word of God and the antivirus software will work together, and they will reprogram your hard drive. And, 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 and this antivirus software will work against the viruses on your hard drive called sin and flesh darkness, frailty, fracture. And so you think your job is to be a programmer and reprogram yourself because you went to a Tony Robbins ceremony or you followed some religion. But, but the gospel says, no, God is the master programmer and you've just got to cooperate with his software and make sure that you're listening to the partner app every now and then. And then as you do that, a battle commences. This is Galatians chapter 5. Well, Paul doesn't say software and app and thing. He says flesh and spirit. He says, you have two things in you. If you've said yes to the gospel, two things occur in your life. One is the presence of the flesh. It's always been there. But now a new possibility, a new future, a new creation happens within the yes to the gospel person, the presence of God's Holy Spirit. And now, Galatians chapter 5, the spirit wars against the flesh. This, this is not a victimhood statement. My flesh and my spirit are at war together. Oh no, I'm torn. They are and we are torn. But listen to what Paul says. The spirit desires something different from the flesh and the spirit is at war against the flesh. This is victory talk, not victim talk. It is that God is on a mission in your life, whether you know it or not, whether you feel it or not, whether you think you see it or not. When you say yes to the gospel, God's Holy Spirit takes up and commences a mission in your life to recalibrate your life so that it is not your flesh that reigns, but the life of God that reigns. Some, someone should say amen about that. It's, that's, that's good news. The Spirit desires something that is contrary to the flesh. Of course, and you've lived according to the flesh your whole life. So all of your habits, all of your view, all of your understanding is programmed that way. And Paul says, well, then how do I get with the new program? Do I follow rules? Do I get circumcised? Do I follow Jewish Torah? What about the Ten Commandments? Paul says, no, you don't do any of that. And then he uses this magnificent phrase. Keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. To understand what it means to keep in step, you'd have to go back to my wedding day and see my terrible attempt at a bridal waltz. Danielle was magnificent, looking like Wonder Woman in your tiara and your outfit. And, and here's me, goofball, flopping around. 
We went and had tango lessons from a dance teacher so that we could dazzle our family and friends with the brilliance of our tango. Remember that, Danielle? And, but because you don't see the bride's get up before the wedding day. And so then when she walks down the aisle, an aisle that had to be three metres wide because that's sure where it, what her skirt, the big, big kind of Cinderella cake ball thing was doing. What was it called again? Your hoop. She had a, she had a hoop on. And, and she had this great, great big expanse of fabric and... How does one describe that, Danielle? You always check with your wife before you use fashion tips in a sermon. And, she, and, and so we weren't able to do our tango because I just couldn't quite... You know, tangos happened nice and close and then it was kind of like, high five, lady. You know, when they said, you may kiss the bride. It's like, I'm going to need a cherry picker to get to her, guys. Um, and so we reverted. We couldn't do the tango, so we just reverted to a waltz. Now, the problem with that is I'm hopeless at waltzing. You know when they say someone has two left feet? Imagine me as that person with two left feet, but then bash both of those feet with a hammer and then put them through a sausage mincer. That is my dance ability. That's my dancing ability. I've been a drummer for 14 years before I got saved and delivered from it. And so, you know, I can move these things, but I can't move these things at all. Not at all. It's very painful to watch. And so what what Danielle and I, when we look back at our bridal video, (laughs) me, just a stupid kid that had no business being allowed to marry such a wonderful lady, but the grace of God, we got through it, didn't we, Danielle? She said, I do. Um, and you look back at the bridal waltz and it's just an awkward, awkward moment as I'm trying to lead and then she's trying to keep in step with me and it's like, you know, and eventually we just did what all drunk people do at the end of a dance. We just held each other and we swayed. <laughs> and I'm going on the video like I'm calling everybody else to join us on the dance floor because it was, it, it was, Danielle remembers it a lot more romantically than that, but I just remember the floppy around groping feeling of not being a good dancer. Um, I was out of step And I didn't know the steps. So Paul says, the antidote to the flesh. It's not wrath, it's not religion, it's not law, it's not rules. It's this total other thing that you've never been exposed to before other than in the gospel message. Keep in step with the spirit. The spirit is playing a song in life. And the song sounds like love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control. The the, the song sounds like Jesus at the center. The song sounds like the grace of God. The song sounds like the gospel message. The spirit is humming a tune, playing a song all the time in life. And, And listen, this is what's so crucial for you to understand about Galatians, that Paul says, if you say yes to the gospel, the spirit is in you. That dance has been installed in you. The spirit as a person is in your life. Life all the time sounding a lot like this we're going to start that again because we're a Pentecostal church so you've really got to understand the ways of the spirit and the best way is bark
Okay, see what, see, see what happens? This is how the life of the Spirit works because it starts off with the humming of a tune that's foreign. A tune, you might have heard of it from others, you might know it, but you don't really know it much and it's not that familiar because you don't know it. But the Spirit, He's got a temper and He's got a cadence and there's a song, there, there's a process, there, there's a tendency. And what happens is the job of the Holy Spirit in your life is to endlessly sing and dance that tune. And your job, is to tune out of all the other songs and dances you've always learnt in life that are now habit. The habit. I'll show you what type of habits they are. We will, we will. See, it's habit. You've learnt that song. You're, holy, something, you're really holy people. Like, oh my gosh, what did they say? We respect you. We love you. We will watch you do laps of the ceiling later. It's habit. You've, your whole life has got locked in habits and locked in patterns. That you, they, and they come like that to the surface. And, but, but Paul says, yeah, that's your flesh. And you can live according to that. You can live all the time. On the highway to... You can live that way. All It's ingrained. It's, you're indoctrinated by your life and your flesh and your history. But the Spirit's humming a new tune called love. Love, 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 and peace, and... Oh, you, you guys are getting it now. This is much better than the first service was. Um, the Spirit's humming a new tune. And, and it's so amazing that Paul would take dance as the analogy of how you live in the Spirit. It'd be much easier if we got rules and regulations. Much easier if we got peer pressure and social pressure. We could all be Pavlov's little dogs. And every time the pastor says stand, our mouths water for the rules that are going to come and get us a pat on the head from God and a doggy treat if we jump through the right hoops. It would just be easier. In fact, the church would be a whole lot better behaved and a whole lot more pain-free. Turn to your neighbor and say, he must be talking about you because I'm fine. But you don't get that. You get told there's a dance in the spirit. It's an invisible dance that lives in you. And every time you read God's word, God's word highlights and evoke that dance. God's word is the sheet music and the spirit is installed upon you. And what you've got to do is try to tune out highway to hell and tune a little bit more into the Chopin of God and tune a little bit more into Kachaturian symbol clashes of love and, and, and tune a little bit less what you've always been used to. So what happens is over time, you, you, you learn the new dance steps. You learn the new songs, not because you have to. If you, you know, the person dancing because they're forced to and have to, it's miserable, isn't it? But when you think about dance in its essence, and those of you who know me, I must be a connoisseur about it, it it's free. I've had three daughters and not one of them ever had to be sat down and told, right, Lily, you're four years old now. Dad's going to go and get you a pink tutu. And I'm going to put on any type of music. And you're, because you're a young lady, you are obligated to spin around in the lounge room and have a great time. We have never had to explain that to three daughters. We, I've never had to explain that to Danielle. I haven't had to explain it to Pastor Jamie on Tuesdays when I find him doing it in his office. It's amazing. It looks great in that tutu. He's had it since he was four. Um, you, you know... True free dance, true free movement, it's primal, right? There's, there's a range of moves that the body does that across cultures and times people will hear music and they will give themselves over to that music and this thing called dance will happen. Don't you just think that's weird? No one's, right, you better do this. And if someone does that to you, if someone tries to make you learn to dance, your body rebels and you don't enjoy it and you can't do it very well anyway. 
I used to play in a band, and we, we toured, toured some places playing classical music, and we used to play this wonderful song by the composer Kachaturian, and it was called Sabre Dance. It was like a Russian-y sounding one, just an amazing piece of music. And I used to start off playing the drums in it, then I played the xylophone, and it was like, you know, just crazy, because the xylophonic notes in that Pastor Jamie are just like, it's like, you know, popsicle truck crashing. And, and, and it was just amazing. And I had another fellow uh, xylophone player who was next to me, and he actually was relegated to the glockenspiel, which is like a really small xylophone made of metal. And, 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 but when he played, he would never feel the music. His notes were always perfect, and, and, and he got everything right, but he never enjoyed himself. Me, I felt the music, baby. I'd, I would bash away. I would close my eyes and play. I'd miss a lot of notes. And yet the conductor of the band used to always say, Tifi, I want you to move this bit, move that xylophone right to the front. I want everybody to get into this. Because I was feeling the music. And this guy was technically doing it better than me, but he wasn't feeling it. That's the difference between religion and a relationship with Christ. It can appear to be doing all the right stuff, but one person, they got it. You know what I'm saying? And another person, they're just keeping time. Keeping time. Henry David Thoreau said this wonderful statement, as if you can kill time without injuring eternity. Brilliant thought for free, take it home. The spirit begins to take over and then the spirit does new things in you if you listen to the dance and then you're enabled to live a different way, which takes you to Galatians chapter 6. You could call Galatians chapter 6, this chapter, how a spirit person lives. How a spirit person lives. It's so funny because a lot of people think the Bible tells you all these things about what not to do, but often it tells you now that you're free, choose your freedoms and choose them this way instead and teaches you new dance moves, moves you're not used to. Here's the first one, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, let's just pause right there. Hang on a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Somebody caught in sin. Caught in sin. Busted. Trapped. They're in it. It's not, a, it's not a rumor. It's not a, you know, they're in it, man. They are caught in sin. They're Jonah with seaweed wrapped around their head in the belly of the whale. We, we busted the man. Well, what should we do? What is God's heart for that person? What is the response? What should we do with this person? You know, and, and Jesus had a lot of conflict in his ministry because when Jesus dealt with people caught in sin, he didn't respond the way the religious people wanted him to respond, did he? Remember that woman caught in the very act of adultery, they said. That means she's doing something and they run in and grab her and bring her to the feet of Jesus. Jesus, the law says she should be stoned, caught in the act. And what does Jesus say? Those of you who haven't sinned, you you throw the first stone. And one by one they leave as Jesus just doodles in the dirt. Writing notes of grace and forgiveness that sound a lot like a new dance the world has never seen before. And, and one by one they leave because Jesus won't follow their old song and put that lady on the highway to hell and he restores her. He says, where are your condemners? She says, they're gone. He says, neither do I condemn you. And he raises her up. He says, go and sin no more. See what happens? The grace comes before the change. The change doesn't come before the grace. And we live our lives thinking, surely I have to earn it. Surely I have to perform. Surely I have to jump through a hoop. And Jesus says, no, what you need to do is let me be the one that raises you up with my grace and my love and my forgiveness and my acceptance. And that changes you. And then because you're changed, now go and walk and live a different way. 
That's how Jesus deals with people caught in sin. Listen to what Paul said. If someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit. Let's talk about that phrase. You who live by the Spirit. You who live by the Spirit. Five words in English. Five separate words. In the New Testament, it's one word. In ancient Greek, that was conveniently translated for us so we don't have to speak it. You who live by the Spirit. There's one word in the ancient Greek. Pneumatikoi. Pneumatikoi. It's a funny word, this word pneumatikoi. It literally means those who belong to the Spirit. In older passages, we see this translated as those who are spiritual. All right, now we're talking past the bit. Let's get spiritual. And, and, and for most of us, spiritual means like ethereal, spooky stuff. You know, like, you know, I was a pot smoking hippie on a beach once, so spiritual just meant everything was peace, man. Sitting next to the other guy going, oh, I've been smoking drunks for years and it hasn't done anything to me. Good tip, kids, don't do drugs. <laughs> Make you dumb. And, and uh, spiritual used to mean something. But for the New Testament, spiritual doesn't mean ethereal. It doesn't mean spooky and weird. It doesn't even mean invisible. Always the word spirit and the word spiritual in the New Testament should always be drawn with a capital S. It's not about that which is generically spiritual or generically invisible. It's always that which belongs to the operation of God's Holy Spirit, actually. So when Paul says, those of you who are spiritual, and see it's capitalized in the NIV, those who live by the Spirit, those that belong to the Spirit, those that are walking the Spirit dance, here is how they live. And that's what this whole chapter is concerned. If I'm living according to the dance of the Spirit, what music am I listening out for so I can cooperate with that music and dance that way? And here's the first one. Well, when you catch someone in sin, look what a spirit person does. You, You should restore that person gently. Restore. Everybody say the word restore. Restore. Such a great word. If you've ever been in need of restoration, the word restore is such a beautiful word. The best way to explain to you what this word restore means in the ancient language it comes from is to go back to the time where Jesus met James and John, sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder, the angry family, the anger management disciples. And Jesus is walking through... He's walking along the shorelines of the Sea of Galilee and he sees James and John, sons of Zebedee, and he's going to call them to become his disciples. But when he sees them, it says, they're sitting on the beach and they are mending their nets. Now, of course, they're fishermen and and, and in the ancient world especially, they didn't have like the high-tech fishing equipment that you and I have today. They had nets made of like hemp and string and cotton cloth and all sorts of other woven textile type fabrics that were natural fibres. And of course, they would cast those nets out, great big fishers, they would cast them out into the sea, they would try to fill them up with fish and bring those fish back into the boat. Now, of course, sometimes the net would get overloaded, it would just break. And it would develop a big hole. And you can still fish with a net with some holes in it. But, you know, the bigger they get, the more fish they get away. And eventually the net just becomes useless because it's had overfilled with fish. One day they were pulling it in. It got snagged on a tree. More of a hole will be ripped in the net. Another time they were pulling it into the boat and some of the oars from the boat or the equipment or a knife in your pocket got jagged on the net and bang, something else happened. And eventually nets just get ripped. Nets get busted. They, they, they get broken. Ever seen a fishing net? Very rare to see one completely whole because there just always seems to be something that'll bust up a fish and so of course when when if you're a fisherman and it's your livelihood then you have to eventually realize the net is not operating the the way that the net is designed to operate the net's busted man the net's broken it's a good net i like this net it might even be my favorite net we will call it a net (laughs) uh 
but it's not doing what it's designed to do and, and with, with some repair, with some mending, with some cleaning, with some fixing, with some joining back together again, with some stitching, with some embroidering, with some weaving, with some restoration, then the net would go back to its best design, its best condition. And if the net could be mended, if the net could be restored, then the net could catch more fish. And Jesus looks at them and his invitation to his disciples at one point is this, if you follow me, I will make you catch men. And it's like Jesus making a profound statement about the human condition that echoed not just to them, but to you and I today, that, you know, you and I, we're designed to represent and reflect God and we're designed to fish for people and help them find the goodness of God. But you know what? We're nets. We're just like nets. And we get snagged and we get torn and we get ripped and we are broken. Sometimes we just get overloaded in life with everything and it makes a little or a big hole in us, doesn't it? Sometimes the net's not treated well. It gets bruised and battered and broken and ripped. Sometimes it gets caught up in stuff. Sometimes it's going along trying to do the right thing and rip. And the net develops holes and tears and rips. And when it has that, it can't do what it's supposed to do. So Jesus promised to the disciples, while they're sitting there stitching up their broken nets, he says, if you follow me, I'll stitch up what's broken in your life and then you'll also function the way you want that net to function. Isn't that an amazing thought? When Mark and Luke write the story for you of James and John sitting there, they say, he says, James and John are sitting there mending their nets. In the ancient Greek language, he uses this word, katatidzon. Katatidzon, to, to restore, to mend, to perfect, to fit, to refit, to retool. And Paul takes that word. Maybe it lives in his mind because of the stories he's aware of from Jesus of Nazareth who promised his disciples, like your net needs mending, I will mend your life. And Paul says, those of you who are spirit people, when, when you catch someone in sin, restore that person gently. The word restore is katatidzon, mend them like a broken net that's how the bible sees broken people that's how the bible sees sinning people that's how the bible one of the ways the bible explains the life according to the flesh is you're just a broken net man and you know what you need you need to be fixed you need to have your holes patched up you need to be joined together you're made to do something but as long as you live according to the flesh you can't even do what you're made to do because the frailty and the holes from being a broken net just mean you can never be used to catch fish it's not condemnation it's diagnosis and prescription the diagnosis is i'm a broken net the prescription is i need the gospel and then for us as the people of God, the, 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 the diagnosis is there's plenty of broken nets out there. Some of them are even in this room. Some of them have even said yes to the gospel and some of them are right in this church right now. So what do we do? Let's have a tar and feathering. Let's get the media team to do a profile on the biggest sinners in the church. Let's make everyone fill out a questionnaire to see if they'll follow the rules before they come in here. No, Paul says when those of you, if you belong to the spirit, the spirit plays a tune in your life for you to keep in step with. And here's the tune. When you meet someone caught in sin, Mend them like a net. Help them get healed and whole. Help them get stitched up again, man. They're a broken net that needs to have their fractures restored and joined. And, and how, do you, how, do you, how do you restore them? How do you mend them? You do it gently. I want you to say this. Shh. And, and now say it like Sam on the front row with his new little man. Shh. Ever seen 
a newborn baby with its mother straight after birth. If you have, you need therapy. Yeah, I do too. But no one needs more therapy than the baby. A baby, think about this. In our world, babies survive childbirth. If I was a baby, well, I was one once, but like kind of knowing now what I know about life, if I could revert to the baby state, I would come out mad and angry and traumatised, wouldn't you? My mother just kept me in a liquid-filled bag for nine months, sloshing around with her, doing Pilates and whatever she's doing, making me listen to her ABBA music. I, 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 I was okay because here I was in, 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 in there and at least I could order womb service every now and then. If I had any complaints, I could just forward them on to placenta management and uh, it, was, it was all okay. And, and, and I had cable. Cable's always good. But then they take me. They open up the womb. They take me, who is a head this big, and they squeeze me through a channel this big. My head, you know, a baby's head is amazing. It will squeeze right down to fit through the... I'm not trying to be crass, but you've just got to understand this. It's a miracle a baby survives, survives birth. You know, if, if, if statistically you had to do now the same thing that a newborn does when it enters the world, you, it would kill you. You physically could not cope with the trauma and the difficulty of being squeezed through a very tiny straw. And a baby's head will squish down. And like, you guys are lucky the head squished back out again. But in our house, Tifi children, their head stayed like parking lot witches' hats for a long time. We used to call them little cone heads. You know, fortunately, two of our kids were born with so much hair like a little gorilla um, that it covered up the kind of weird shape of their heads. But we'd bath them and then the hair would all slop down and be like... What is this some alien that, that, that we've given birth to? That, but, but notice something, that the trauma of... It's so, it is actually deeply traumatic. But have you ever noticed... Well, well this, let me tell you what I've noticed. Of all of the counselling sessions I've ever done, no one's ever sat in my office and said, well, Pastor Ben, it all started when I squeezed through a five millimetre channel and my head squashed down. And then the doctor inserted a pair, a pair of tongs and grabbed me by the face and pulled me out into the world, screaming and red, tipped me upside down, smacked my bottom, cut off my cable straight away. Like, you think it's bad when the Wi-Fi stops working? The umbilical cord gets cut within moments of entering the world. It's incredibly traumatic, but miraculous. Miraculous, a baby survives. One of the most difficult things you've ever done was being born. You survived. High five. You entered this world. And it's traumatic, man. And that's why babies all have the same words when they come out. But have you ever seen the enraged, traumatised, deathly yells of a newborn baby? Like something off Jurassic Park, isn't it? But they will be placed into the arms of the mother sometimes, if things go well. And the mother will hold that baby to her chest and she'll just feed it. Often the baby's never done it before, doesn't even know what it's doing, but instinct kicks in. And the motherly instinct will kick in and that little enraged, traumatised new person will have all of that trauma assuaged by a mother holding it close going, shh, 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 shh. And the rage gives way to cooing and, and ahhing and gooing and garring, doesn't it? Have you ever, ever seen it? I was there for all three of our children's births. 
I need more counselling than they do. Danielle held them close. That's what the word gently means in the New Testament when you see that word. It's the maternal act of gentling a newborn. You know, we just because we're adults doesn't mean that there's a small part of us that's not just a badly behaving enraged child sometimes. It's really true. And, and, and we've got all sorts of stuff. We feel like we've been squeezed through a vice in life and we feel like we've just been from our warm little spot, bam, thrust out into the cold and it's hurt and it's painful and we're enraged. We're a broken net and we yell about it. And the Bible says this is what spirit people hear when they see a person caught in sin. They say, you're a broken net. You're like a, you're like a baby having a tantrum. It's not said in judgment. It's said as diagnosis. So what you need is nurturing. What you need is feeding. What you need is mending. But the diagnosis in the scriptures, the diagnosis always comes with a prescription like any responsible medical person. God doesn't stand afar. You're a sinner. You're you're a broken net. Yeah, you're just a baby. Spirit people hear this sound. When God sees a sinner, God sees a a net in need of mending, somebody in need of nurture. And our job together as we build this family of God, all of us learning to rehab and detox from our flesh and tune into the new dance of the Spirit. We've lived for so long with all types of songs and the Holy Spirit singing a new song, best summed up by Elsa. Let it go. Let it go, can't hold you back anymore. That enraging song that used to drive us nuts. Remember when the kids would play that? Now it's the greatest showman, Hugh Jackman. There's a new song. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? We didn't get through any more than two verses of Galatians chapter 6, but you can read it in your own time. It's a massage from Uncle Paul for your cramped religious fleshly driven muscles that says there's a new song for you to learn a new dance for you to new a new way for you to play and it starts with the acknowledgement when we walk according to the flesh we're like a broken net and we need to be mended we're like a, an enraged child and we need nurturing and we find that nurture in the grace of God covering us giving us what John Wesley described when he became a believer what he described as a strange power operated over me (laughs) 17 years ago I walked into a church I thought you guys were nuts an avowed atheist had all my reasons thought Christians were deluded fanatical idiots what a sense of humour God has huh The church started to sing, the church started to praise and worship God. And I can only tell you this, my friend, that in that moment, I felt a strange power in operation. And it's like a little bit of my net began to be mended. It got mended enough that I could hear the gospel message. And I was embraced in the gospel and I was embraced in God enough to be restored, just like the presence of God himself, sometimes represented even by the people of God, because sure, a lot of them held me close and went, shh, it'll be okay. I found nurturing in in the Word of God. I found milk in the Word of God. It grew to meat from the Word of God. I found nurturing in worship and in prayer and in the Christian Scriptures. It's it's like the partner app of the Word cooperated with the antivirus software of the Spirit. 
At least four times in the last week, I've had this conversation with someone who sat with me and said, Pastor Ben, you know, you talk about how screwed up you were all those years ago. Is it true? I say, you can never underestimate how screwed up I really was. One of the most dysfunctional human beings you could ever meet on planet Earth. Some of you are like, wow, bro, you still seem a bit that way to me. But I know it was much worse all those years ago. They say, Pastor Ben, is it really true? Yes, it was true. Well, well, how did you get from where you were then, addicted and broken and dysfunctional? You couldn't do anything, right? Right. Well, how did you get from there to where you are today? And here's the truth. I can't give you a three-point plan. I can't give you a list of action steps. All I can say is I learnt a new song. And as I learnt and lived and danced and hummed that new tune that God's Spirit begins from day one to start singing in your life, in your soul. As you learn to keep in step and sing and dance with that tune, your life will change too. And as you learn to be nurtured and fed and restored by God, your net will be mended and you'll grow strong. It'll be like you'll go from being an enraged baby to a well-adjusted person living a life of harmony, which the Bible calls salvation. Living out salvation, not just religious truths, actual life, walking with God, being transformed. And listen... I had my years, I had my days, especially the first three years. I think I I tried to get saved every single time I went to church because I came back every week feeling broken, like I was failing, like I was floundering, like I was making mistakes. And then somebody explained to me, yeah, you are going to fail. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means that you made some mistakes because you're tuned into the flesh and you've got to develop the habit of tuning into the spirit. And listen, if you persevere and you keep walking and you keep believing and you keep praying and worshipping and cooperating with the Spirit, life will change for you, my brother and my sister. Some of you, it's changed so well in times gone by, but I just know some of us in the room, we've had our lives constricted. We've been in a confined space and the air's gotten stuffy in our Christian walk and therefore Christian work, Christian service, Christian Bible, Christian praying. The song of the Spirit has been tuned out a little bit for the rules and regulations and the walls of religion that I've allowed to be built around my life and some of us today just have to assuage the wounds of religion and say I'm just going to breathe the free fresh air of the gospel I'm going to take in God's Holy Spirit his holy breath like fresh air just breathe and relax and let the gospel clear out the stuffiness Some of us have been caught in patterns and now you know why you're caught in a pattern because your net's broken and the best thing you could do right now, right now under the sound of my voice is you could just begin to call out to God, God, my net is broken, man. I need to be mended. I've got holds, God. I'm praying for you, my friend. I'm praying for all those in this room today that are just conscious of their own weakness, conscious of their own battles, battles they feel like they've been given into far too often. Emotional battles and habit battles and thought battles and behavioural battles, flesh battles, you and your natural state battles. I'm praying for you, my friend, that the grace of God would overshadow you right now and in response to His Word that you've sat and taken in this morning, that God's Holy Spirit would begin to mend that hole in your net, begin to patch you up, begin to nurture you right now in Jesus' name. Have you sensed the coming of the Holy Spirit on your life? Just begin to welcome Him. Father, thank You for the presence of the Spirit. Thank You for the software. Thank You that You're breathing into my life. Thank You not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has already done on the cross, that You are restoring my life. That's Christian talk. That's Christian belief. That's Christian faith. It's Christian. God, I thank you that you're moving. Thank you you're giving me grace. That's how a Christian talks. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room today that you would just overshadow every hole in every net. Everybody, Lord, even if they don't appear to us, that just feels like a screaming, enraged baby with trauma and pain. 
They just need to be held closely by your spirit today, enveloped in your gospel, enveloped in your grace, Father. I pray your presence right now would come. Let your presence come and fill this place. Let your presence come and fill every heart and every mind, Lord. In the name of Jesus, install your word, Father. Install your word. Work against flesh. Work against brokenness. Work against pain. Work against sin and death. In Jesus' name. We hope you have been encouraged by this message. For more information, check out our website at desertlifechurch.org.